0: Rebels, it's that time. Can you feel it? Are you ready to be a great parent? Do you want to feel like you're back on your honeymoon? Well, we believe in you and God believes in you. Rebels, it's time to join the rebellion. It's time for Rebel Parenting. What's up, Rebels? Hope you've had a great week. Man, do we have a good program for you today. My friend Ben Corson is on the podcast. We're going to talk about depression and anxiety. Before we get to that, today's program is sponsored by TriNova. Amazon.com slash Trinova, code word RebelPod at checkout gets you 20% off everything they sell. Laura and I use it. Producer K uses it. I wash my car with it. I clean the house with it. Amazing, amazing products. And also, by using the code word RebelPod, you're supporting Rebel podcasting. You're supporting Rebel parenting. You're supporting Laura and I, producer K, and this ministry. So, Amazon.com slash Trinova, code word RebelPod, support the ministry. Clean your house, clean your car. Ben Carson on the program today. My goodness, I, t- I got to tell you here first, this is an up-and-comer. You will be seeing this guy for a long time. Laura and I have done programs on depression before. This is a great broadcast. And he's got a, just an incredible book called Optimist Fits. I love the title. It's a fantastic book. You're going to love, Ben. Without any further ado, here is Ben Corson on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. All right, we are live. Here's the thing, Ben, I'm just going to like say this before we even introduce you. There's this little button I click in the middle of the screen, and then it just kind of does this circle until it clicks live. And so we'll tell the guest, we're going to hit live, and then we'll go live in just a second. And then we click that, and then it's like, anywhere between three and 15 seconds of just us staring at each other. And then you can't see when it goes live. So we're just like, do, 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 don't talk, don't talk, do, 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 do And then it goes live. So <laughs> for all the live people out there, thank you. We've got Ben Corson on the broadcast today from Hope Generation. Ben, thanks for being on the program.
1: I'm super pumped. I already love you guys. Awesome. Oh, thank we you. We are so
0: stoked to have you here. And you're dealing with a subject that people are afraid to deal with. You talk about anxiety and you talk about depression and the fact that Gen Z and Gen Y are some of the most depressed generation we've had. Yep. And honestly, I think it's because we're this safe. You know, like my, I talk about my grandpa, my grandpa dropped out of school in the seventh grade to work in the coal mines because his mom died giving birth to the 13th sibling and his alcoholic dad wouldn't take care of the family. Mm-hmm. Now, My kids will never experience that. They're very, very safe. If something happened to us, there'd be family, there'd be social services, there'd be programs that would come in, and that safety has allowed us to internalize things in a greater depth and to think about feelings and mental health and those types of things in such a a deeper way, and so for you to tackle this issue, we are so thrilled to have you on. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm super pumped because even if you I was literally just doing research about this, but If you look at people who live in trailer parks today, they literally live better than kings used to live. So people in trailer parks (laughs) have greater creature comforts than kings in medieval times. And so what's crazy is the research shows us that it's not just that Gen Z and Gen Y are – Uh, some of the most depressed generation ever, we are now the number one most depressed generation on record, which is crazy because not only do we live better than kings used to live, but there's less violence now per capita than ever before in human history. We just have more access to the media. So it looks like there's more violence. We don't hear of Hannibal's Mm. invading the tribe across the world because there wasn't that kind of access back then. But there's actually... Uh, less violence now than ever before in human history, and so yeah, we need to destigmatize this depression thing. I think you're right. Like, uh, there's so much safety, and I always like to say Jesus didn't die to make us safe; he died to make us dangerous. And you look uh-huh. at like great my great grandparents fighting in World War One, my grandparents fighting in World War Two, my parents' age, the baby boomers fighting in Vietnam, and we're kind of LTD living the dream, sucking the very marrow out of life. And yet we're feeling depressed, stressed, distressed, and in deep debt. you know? So yeah, Yeah. we need one one more thing, like not to, sorry, I'm talking your guys ear off, but basically I do want to say that some of the greatest Bible characters struggled with depression. Like Elijah was suicidal. Job cursed Mm. the day he was born. Mm. The psalmist said, why are you cast down on my soul? David would have been diagnosed with cyclothymic bipolar disorder. And totally. the same in history, like Abraham walked around with a shotgun in the woods, tempted to kill himself. Churchill, he didn't want an, a balcony flat for his apartment because he said, Desperate thoughts do come in the head. I don't want to be on an upper story unless I'm tempted in a desperate moment to kill myself. So, great mm-hmm. people have struggled with depression. So, we do need to destigmatize the taboo.
0: 100%. Why is it that we're so afraid to talk about it? Why is it this thick? I mean, so many people deal with it, and yet. We feel like we're alone in our depression. Like we just did a show, what do you do when your spouse is depressed? And I'm the depressed one. Like I was going through a deep series of depression and we just like, I didn't want to talk about it. Everything in me was like, don't tell people, don't talk about it. They're going to stop listening to the show. And then people were like, oh yeah, I have those things too. And it's like, we Mm -hmm. all do. And yet we're all so afraid to be vulnerable. We're afraid we're going to get hurt yeah. if we tell someone this.
1: Yeah, and we're afraid that we're going to look weak because it's like, okay, our parents are fighting Vietnam, grandparents World War Two, great-grandparents Great Depression and World War One. Like, hashtag no big deal, I'm depressed. Like, that just sounds absurd. And so I think we try to have that Victorian upper lip stoicism. The only problem is, is like, yes, people are impressed by our strengths and our accomplishments, but they connect with our weakness. And that's why I love how it says in the Bible that Jesus was our great high priest who can sympathize with us. The word sympathize in Greek is sin passion. It literally means to suffer together with. So that he could join our Mm. tears to the tears of God. And so I think there could be this thing where we try to hide because we want to present an image to the world that's not who we truly are. And then that only exacerbates the depression and feeds the cyclical existential angst. And so, yeah, I think you guys are doing great work. And I want to be a part of that work too of destigmatizing the thing, talking about it, and remembering that some of the greatest characters in history went through the same mental disorders that we suffer from today. Wow
0: so Mm. powerful okay you got to tell me and tell our listeners what are the optimist fits oh gosh
1: i love it just makes me happy when i hear that word because my brother-in-law made up the title of the book. Optimism, it's, it's just, like, I figured if J.R.R. Tolkien could make up words, I can too. Like,
2: <laughs> like, like
1: Tolkien made up the word "u-catastrophe," and now it's part of the English language. And it means, like, when everything's yeah. horrible and then suddenly it culminates into a happily ever after. So I'm like, let's make up a word that has to do with, you know, being a hopeful rebel. Because – you, first of all, you have like Mm. two things going on. You have the boring conformist values of the American dream, which is to work 40 hours a week for 40 years to retire on 40% of your income, get your 401k, your dog name spot, your 2.5 kids, you know, your timeshare in Palm Springs tool around in your golf cart and then claim your spot in the cemetery. And I'm like, you know, the American dream sounds more like a nightmare to me. If, if other people like that, and that's their jam more power to them, but like, it just sounds super, boring and conformist to me personally and then you look at on the other hand there's like this vanilla flavored churchianity with all of its sameness and tameness Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. i don't want to conform to either like i don't want to be like winston smith from 1984 like subsumed by the system i want to be more like the savage from brave new world who uh (laughs) wouldn't take soma and he's like i will not conform to the system an optimist fit is an optimistic misfit rebel who refuses to bow down to the conformity of religiosity or corporate. Somebody who says, I'm going to live with wild, abandoned, childlike wonder and unapologetic optimism. So my brother-in-law actually came up with that title.
0: Wow. Oh, that's I love fantastic. it. I love it. That is fantastic. And it's so needed today. It really is. You know, we get stuck in our heads. And, you know, what we try to tell people is fall back on what do you know to be true? You know, like we're going through this thing today and it's like, but what if this happens and what if this happens and what if this happens? None of that's true. That's all what may or may not happen in the future. Mm -hmm. But what do I know to be true right now, right here, today? And some of that stuff comes from the Bible and comes from the Lord saying, I love you. I care about you. I died for you before you were born. I decided, made that decision, how much you were worth long before you knew what worth was. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah. That's really good. Like I love what Mark Twain said. I have worried about a great and many things. He said, I have experienced a great and many things, most of which have never happened. So he's like, (laughs) I've gone through many tragedies in my life, most of which have never happened. And his point was, we worry about stuff that isn't real. Like uh, one of my favorite stories is Kurt Godel, who died at the age of 71. He was Einstein's friend. And he could like bat around the idea of the theory of relativity and show how when you do complex, you know, mathematics and imaginary numbers, even simple arithmetic falls apart. He was a genius, but mm. he actually died of starvation because he was so afraid that he would get poisoned. He would only let his wife feed him. And so when his wife was hospitalized, he couldn't eat food because there was no one there to prepare his, you know, meals for him. And he was so afraid somebody would poison him that he literally starved to death. So logically no. this brilliant man, yeah. he should realize like, okay, my reality of starvation is more realistic than my fear of being poisoned. And yet it was fear itself that killed him in the end. And so yeah. that's why Jesus said five times in Matthew six, don't worry because the future of our imagination is always worse than the future of our fears when we give into anxiety. So mm. fear is an illusion. It's a lie and it's one. So many people are believing.
2: Definitely, Do, do you see it more happening with women on the rise or in your studies, like with moms or new moms being more depressed and more anxious, or is it just across the board, everybody?
1: Well, I think there is an element of it being across the board. That's a really good question, but I'm thinking of how like in brain science, the corpus callosum is the part of your brain that connects the right and left hemisphere. And what research shows is there is more activity in the corpus callosum for women than there is for men. And what that mm. does is it gives them a greater level of awareness and consciousness and cognitive agency when it comes to realizing their circumstances around them. So for example, have you ever noticed how kids say, my mom has eyes in the back of her head, but they don't usually say yeah. that about their dad. That's because yeah. women have higher activity in the corpus callosum, So that's like neuroscience. Uh, so there can be a greater level of worry and anxiety for kids. Mm. That's just like when you're talking about the anatomy of the brain, but also even in the Bible, I love how Jacob, Uh, When Joseph, his son, told him his dreams, it said that Jacob thought about these things. But when Mary in the New Testament heard about her son Jesus's future, it says that she pondered these things in her heart. Now, now I know this is a gross overstatement, but I think men tend to think like, you know, rationally, intellectually, they think about these things like Jacob. And women tend to ponder in their heart. They think more emotionally Mm. through the heart. Which is better? Mm. Which is worse? Neither. They're both equally good. But there definitely is a difference, and we even see that in the activity of the corpus callosum.
0: Wow, wow man! You know, all this talk—it was making me think. I just heard an interview with um, Andy Stump, who was a former Navy SEAL, uh, base jumper, all—you know, very extreme person. And he talks about military and being in life or death situations, and how it strips away all the periphery all the little things in your life that are nagging at you, all the little teeny nitpicky things that you're thinking about all the time, when someone's shooting at you, it all goes away. And the (laughs) most important thing becomes the most important thing. And he said, you know, a lot of his uh, compatriots and counterparts experience depression when they come home because they don't have those experiences in their life. Because there's so much time to think about everything else. And there are rarely those moments where nothing else matters that it's this and this alone and everything else gets stripped away. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: that's really good. And like, honestly, my whole theme for life is adventures with God and adventures with squad. One of my good friends, he actually lives in Orange County. Um, Chad, he was a Navy SEAL as well. And I love talking to him because we weren't made for a safe conformist life. Like we were made for adventure. We were made to put our amygdala in like terrifying situations where we attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. And um, ultimately, I think when we get lost in the nexus and labyrinthine maze of our own thoughts and we get too caught up in our own head, we have 30,000 to 50,000 thoughts every day neurologically. That's a lot. And when we start Mm -hmm. thinking about what we're thinking about, then it becomes this endless (laughs) cycle of paranoia. And like the Kurt Codell story, we just we literally can sometimes worry ourselves to death. In fact, two of the typical diseases of modern life, the coronary thrombosis and stomach ulcers, are often yeah. a result of thought life. And so I, I like what you're saying. Sometimes you just gotta get out of your head and go yeah. on an adventure. Like go skate. I love skating with my friends. Yes, I love reading Kierkegaard and Vonnegut, but sometimes you just gotta go grab your skateboard and kickflip.
0: Yeah, definitely. definitely. We've got a BMX track in our backyard. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. We put it there. You know, it's interesting. Uh, you talk about different generations. I deal with anxiety and depression. That's one of the things. And I was meeting with a doctor and he said this crazy thing. He's like, you know, you can't make yourself more stressed out. And I was like, what? Yes, I can. And they put me on a monitor and he was like, all right, make yourself more stressed. And I just started thinking about all these things that stress me out. Well, the monitor went off the charts and his eyes got so big and he was like, this is so unusual and I was like, it's not for me or people that I know that are like me. You know, we we do, we've got you know, 30,000 thoughts a day and when you start thinking about your thoughts, it gets in a cycle and I have learned, you know, let's talk about some of the things we can do. You you talked about skateboarding. My wife knows I have to go outside for the sole purpose of being outside on a regular basis. It's not just from the house to the car, car back to the house, Car to the supermarket, supermarket to the car. I've got to go outside to look up at the sky, either night, either day. I definitely in the daytime. I got to get that vitamin D. Yeah, you know, I've got to exercise. I've got to do certain things to help me get out of my own head.
1: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I know we were joking earlier about people think before they interview me that I'm going to be Ben Carson, and I'm actually Ben Corson. But I actually <laughs> do love neuroscience, which is so ironic. And neuroscience is now showing us. That The three best things you can do for your brain is reading, exercise, and prayer or meditation. Those are the three mm. best things for your brain. We only know about 2 to 8% of how the brain works, but we're in the golden age of neuroscience. And uh, yes. so obviously when you exercise, you release, release endorphins and it gets you mm-hmm. out of stress. Um, readers are leaders. When you read, you develop your prefrontal cortex, cognitive agency. And then also when you pray or meditate, it's interesting. I think you guys are going to like this. Prayer and meditation has a profound impact on your brain. Like um, there is a neuroscientist who has done more brain scans than anyone else in history. I I think the number was somewhere around like 50,000. And he said the number one thing he discovered is that the brain can change. So this is called neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about this the past few days. A lot of people, I hate this phrase. They say, I'm going to learn to live with depression. Now, I personally went through depression for 10 years, chronic depression for 10 years, suicidal depression, and God healed me. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. I am raging against this idea that you're supposed to live with depression. You are not supposed to live with depression. You're supposed to defeat depression. You're supposed to Amen. fight depression. You're supposed to fight for what you don't feel, count it all joy and choose to go on the journey of hope. So let me explain mm-hmm. what I mean. Like. Uh, Research shows that when you pray to a God you believe loves you uh, and you talk intentionally to God, you fire up the frontal lobe of your brain into its highest intellectual capacity and boost your brain's intelligence. So you actually get smarter when you talk to a God who loves you and you develop richer, thicker gray matter in your prefrontal cortex. So that's the part of your brain which is responsible for like concentration, focus. Who doesn't have ADD today? We all do. It gives you greater like cognitive agency and consciousness and When you pray to a God you believe is loving, you uh, have higher activity in your anterior cingulate cortex. That's the part of your brain that's responsible for empathy, compassion, warm and fuzzy feelings. So in other words, like you can't put someone on your hit list who you put on your prayer list. So sometimes like people make us stressed (laughs) and angry, but if you pray to a loving God, it actually activates your compassion center. Whereas conversely, if you pray to a God you believe is angry at you, you'll have high activity in your amygdala, which is your rat brain, which is responsible for like anger, fear, stress, and high blood pressure. So in other words, like, when you pray and meditate wow. to a loving God, you make yourself smarter, more compassionate. When you exercise, you release endorphins, and when you read, you um, you fire up your frontal lobe. So you can actually do these things too through neuroplasticity, change the biological formation of your cerebral gray matter, psychological constitution, and gray cells. It's really powerful stuff.
0: That oh, is super powerful. That's if we amazing. were reading we're reading about the five minute journal, the gratitude journal. And they were saying that people are born with a happiness quotient. Yeah, You know, people are generally, they're generally as happy as they are. And the one thing to change that is daily gratitude. They say, you know, if you win the lottery, your happiness quotient goes up for about two years. It drops back down to what it's normal median is if something terrible happens if you have a spouse pass away or you know uh, something like that it goes down for about two years then it'll goes back to its median yeah and if you focus on what's good in your life if you focus on gratitude on a daily basis you can raise your happiness quotient and it stays. Because of that neuroplasticity, Mm, because you can change the brain.
1: You absolutely can. And that's one of the great hopes is when the Bible says, take your thoughts captive and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Neuroplasticity is showing us we truly can do this. I always like to say we got to get rid of stinking thinking have an attitude of gratitude and have a checkup from the neck up. It's funny because like I think we all come from church world. Like I'm a pastor's kid myself, and so we were always like taught the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept, and like brevity is the word of genius, and that's like the 140-character Twitter bio of the Bible, Jesus wept. That's the verse everyone knows. But actually, that's not the shortest verse in the Bible. In the original language, in Greek, in which the New Testament was written, the shortest verse in the Bible is rejoice always. So if you're going to choose like a Twitter bio for the Bible, do rejoice always. That's what I always like to mm. say. And it's hard to do that. Like it takes rote and repetitious practice and like yeah. continuously choosing this of your own volition way of thinking because neurology tells us that bad news sticks to the brain like Velcro, whereas mm. good news falls through the brain like water through a sieve. And you have to meditate on good news for 15 seconds in order for it to stick. Whereas bad news like sticks right away. If you get 10 comments on Instagram and nine are nice and one is mean, what's the thing you're thinking about? The totally. one that – yeah, one mean, that mean comment. Totally. And that, yeah. yep. that's why I was – I was actually doing a, a news inter- – or a TV interview in ABC Las Vegas a few months ago. And the interviewer, I told him, I said, you know you guys lead with bad news. All news agencies do this. And he admitted he's like, yes, we do, because we know neurologically bad news sticks, bad news sells, bad news keeps us glued to the screen. That's why it's so hard for us to receive the good news of Jesus, because it takes more conscientious meditating on it in order for it to assimilate into your brain.
0: You can tell that by the headlines. Yeah. If you're watching a commercial on TV, yeah. and it's like, what's in your kitchen that can kill you tonight at 6? Yeah. It's exactly. like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. Right. But that will stay with you until 6 that night for you to watch the show to be like, I know if I drink cleaner, it'll kill me. How stupid. I didn't need to know that. You didn't need well, to exactly. tell me that. What about
2: exactly. all the medication commercials? All the medication commercials? If you take this med uh, to help you with your depression, uh, you might face, you know... Everything might kill you from a Twinkie to the dog to the, you know, it's like the list goes on and on. It's just ridiculous. I, I wonder
0: if, I mean, I know by law they have to list those things, but I wonder if they've also noticed that by putting all those negatives out there, it makes you remember their product more.
2: Right.
1: Yeah. And because we latch on to bad stuff. I mean, what's more juicy hearing something good that happened to somebody, you know, or hearing juicy gossip. I mean, it's just how the brain works. And so that's why I love how the proverb said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what it's saying is your identity flows from your neurological activity. Like, as you Mm. think in your heart, so you are, that's who you are. And so I always want to be very deliberate about what I'm thinking about throughout the day. And so now when depressing thoughts come in my brain, I just tell myself, Ben, you don't do that anymore. That's not who you are anymore. And then I just constantly Mm. have been doing that lately. And it's, it's not just positive confession, nothing wrong with like motivational speakers, but I'm talking about actual like science. This stuff really works.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, mm-hmm. well, not only that, when you make a change in your life, the way to make it stick, one of the big ways is to tell people around you, hey, I just need you to know I'm not this guy anymore. I'm not the guy that's gonna do X, y or Z. Yeah, you know, when it comes up and because people, Laura and I went through this. honestly, when we were first married, I was maybe the angriest person on the face of the earth. I was mm-hmm. like this, you know, this bright red hot, you know, 10,000 suns, you know, inside of me, and it would just come out. And I went through you know, a breakthrough and a breakdown and got some great therapy and went and got help and changed. But the natural tendency is for those around you to treat you the way you've always been. Yeah. And there was a period in our life where I would have to say, I'm not that guy anymore. Like, you're talking to old Ryan. I'm new Ryan. I'm not that guy anymore. And I remember one day you looked at me and you're like, you know, you're right. You're not that guy anymore. And I was like, I know, I I still struggle with the anger thing and it's nothing like it used to be, Mm -hmm. but I had to tell those around me, Hey, I'm not that guy. Like... You're trying to fight with angry Ryan. Like angry Ryan doesn't want to fight with you. Like new Ryan wants to just be cool and like get along and, you know, find a bridge to build, you know, not one to burn. So let's build that bridge. I don't want to, I'm not carrying gas and a flare anymore.
1: Mm -hmm. That's really good because you're like a totally new person. It's not just like you're an updated Ryan 2.0. You're like, I'm a new person. There's (laughs) this, there's this great verse where Paul says, those who are in Christ are new creatures. The word creature in Greek is literally species, so like, it's not just like, Hey, you're, you're, you know, you're a new guy. It's like, you're a new species. That's what yeah. the word literally means. So it's like, you go from, I like to say, you go from homo sapien to Homo sapien. Like I used to be, <laughs> I used to be that depressed guy, but that's not who I am anymore. And there's this yeah. great verse in Ephesians two, where it says that Christ has died to make in himself a new humanity. He's showing us like a whole new way to be human altogether, which I love. Oh, yeah.
0: Laura called me Neo for almost a year, you know, because she wanted to, you know, influence me in the way I thought about myself as well. Like
1: Neo from The Matrix? Yeah.
0: yeah. She said, I'm new. It's Neo. I'm new. Yeah, and I'm yeah. a new person. So she would call me Neo as well, a new
1: person. You don't want to get me started on The Matrix because that's like one of my favorite movies of all time. And I write about it like multiple times in Optimism. Nice. It is I don't care how cliche it sounds. It is still one of the most underrated movies of history. It's not 100%. just it's not just cool for its special effects. The level of philosophy the nod to existentialism, Lewis Carroll's um, Alice in Wonderland original works. <laughs> what what the literary enlightenment of that movie is just so good. So, anyway, sorry for that little tangent, but
2: I'm no, with no, you. No, no, I'm totally with, I'm you. with you.
0: We're, we're totally with you with on you. that one. So, Ben, you talked about being clinically depressed for a decade. And for someone as young as you are, that's a big chunk of your life. It's yeah. got to be real vivid. What are some of the things and steps you took? To pull you out that got you into the man you are today. Yeah. yeah
1: I actually talk about this in Optimist Fits, and this is what's really rare. I, I I didn't expect this to happen. What got me out of depression was not a deep talk over coffee. It wasn't some intervention. It wasn't some, you know, theological person sitting down on the couch and like I was going over all my issues. It was people who, who grabbed their skateboards. Didn't say a word about it and just skated with me. And they showed me that life could be fun again. Life could be joyful again. I had had enough deep talks to last me three lifetimes. That's not what yeah. I personally needed. Like, I needed friends who were going to show me that you can be childlike, joyful. You can be a professional fun-haver. You can live for a living. Fun is fundamental. Jesus put the fun back in funeral. Like, hope is not a message you move on from, it's a message you move deeper into. Like Paul said the Mm -hmm. Bible was written Romans 15, 4, literally to give you hope. So hope is the theme of the Bible. You can't talk about hope too much. So that was the one of the main things that brought me out was a group of crazy sendy friends who said, listen, Ben, let's skate. And it was it was really that profoundly simple.
0: Wow. You know what? I've got to say this again. Laura knows this. I went through a divorce, oh, goodness, a decade and a half ago, more than that. No, more than 20 that. years ago. 20,
2: yeah. Whoa! Because we've been married almost 15. 20 years ago! That's a long time!
0: But I went crazy... <laughs> clinically depressed yeah legit i was sleeping 16 18 hours a day i was cheeto fingers the rest of the day yeah I wasn't working (laughs) i wasn't paying my bills like every bill i had was in collections
2: every bill i had was
0: in collections i was literally getting ready to have my house foreclosed on and i didn't care i didn't Care. I heard an interview with a guy on depression and he was saying, you know, people are like, oh, you know, exercise will get you out of depression. He goes, I debate in the morning whether or not to get out of the bed to go to the bathroom or just stay in bed yeah. and go to the bathroom. But I had one guy, Lindsey Spathy from San Clemente, California, who called me over and over again to invite me to go surfing. Over and over yes. again. Yes, And he yeah. just finally wore me down and I was like oh my goodness would you stop calling me so I agreed to go and he's like we meet at my house at 5 30 and I was like a m that should be against the law 5 30 a m do you know what time I'm gonna have to get I sleep's 18 hours a day you want me to get up that or and I promise I don't want to get choked up on this one I do all the time that day changed my life. Yes. yes, that first day and I can tell you the exact moment my life was changed. We're paddling now early morning, sun isn't up yet. It's barely peeking. It hasn't even peaked the horizon yet. And I went under my first wave and that cold water hit me in the face, washed over me, went down mm. my wetsuit, washed through my body and that chill woke me up. I got out and I sat up and I was I felt like I could breathe for the first time in years yeah. and years it was like I took a breath that never stopped inflating my body and I remember thinking I don't know what surfing's like cause I wasn't a surfer yet I just paddled out. Like I don't know what this is gonna be like but if if it's anything like this this is kinda nice. Like yeah. it's quiet and there's all these guys and then I got on my first wave and every guy there screamed and yelled and I I laughed uncontrollably. Yeah. It was uncontrollable. I just, it was the first joy that had broken through that armor and that shell in in maybe five, six years. I had been so, so down and that it woke me. In fact, I knew that day. I remember I went to my therapist and she goes, what happened? And I go, what do you mean? She goes, you seem different. And I go, well, I went surfing today and her face lit up and she goes, I've been waiting for this day. I've been waiting. I knew yeah. this because I kn- I remember thinking, oh, I, bu- <laughs> I bought a surfboard that day. I bought a wetsuit that day because I just couldn't stand the thought of not being able to go out. Like having to borrow someone's, bo- what if someone's not there to let me borrow a board? I have to feel this way again. I got to feel this way again and again and again. And I did. It just hooked me.
1: Yeah. So, like, what's the secret to overcoming nihilistic despair and existential angst and conundrums? Surf. Surf yeah. and
2: skating. That, that, in, that was literally, like, one of the coolest
1: <laughs> stories I've heard in a long time. Like, I think the world needs to hear that story because the same thing happened to my dad. My dad's first wife passed away. And mm. he said what what brought him out of it was not – he said he appreciated all the sympathy and all the people just coming up to him, giving him – kindness and gifts and all that he appreciated all that but the thing that meant the most to him was when one of his buddies went to his house said you're coming with me to play basketball took him to like a basketball game and didn't say a word about it and he said that was one of the things that healed him and Mm -hmm. i found the same thing in my life like we've gone through a lot of stuff as a family like two months ago my brother went to heaven and my sister went to heaven as well and we just go through stuff you know And I went through a romantic heartbreak a few years ago that just devastated me too. And, you know, the 10 years of chronic depression, suicidal. And what people don't understand who haven't been through some of this stuff is that life is always so deep. It's always so intense. You're so caught up in your thoughts that Jesus was onto something when he said, if you want to enter my kingdom, which he specifically called entering into the joy of the Lord, he said, you must become as a child. And there's something yeah. about like that childlike skating and surfing and getting a wash in the wonder, letting your mind wander among the wonders. That's mm-hmm. so powerful. Like, did you know the average kid actually, you talked about cracking up when you were surfing? Like mm. the average kid laughs 200 to 400 times every day, whereas the average Aww. whereas the average adult laughs 13 to 17 times per day.
2: Oh, no. That's sad. So Jesus Jesus was onto something brilliant. We should start a laugh ministry. And
1: and when you laugh a hundred times, it has the same effect on your body as being on a rowing machine for 10 minutes or a stationary bike for 15 minutes. So if you want better abs, like... I always tell people, just laugh at my jokes, like it'll actually work, you know, and and not (laughs) only that, but when you laugh, it releases neuropeptides in your body, which strengthens your immune system. And science shows that like people who laugh more live longer and depressed people get colds (laughs) more frequently than non-depressed people. The Bible was saying the merry heart does good like medicine, a broken spirit rots the bones. So your thoughts affect your body. And basically, like, I think Jesus was so brilliant when he said Listen, my kingdom, this is what it looks like. Become a kid again.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about, have? and I'm sure you've studied this, so what about all the technology going on for the kids right now that are addicted to it, that are watching too much, playing too many video games, not laughing enough? What would you say to those parents, to our listeners that are out there?
1: Yeah, the average... Uh, Eight to 18 year old, according to a study a few years ago, spends seven hours and 38 minutes every day uh, indulging in media entertainment. So that's 53 hours a week. That's a full work week plus 13 hours overtime. And, and that's probably Ooh. lowballing it because this was a study done years ago. What we know now is that the average person pulls out his phone once every six minutes, that's 150 times per day. And it releases, your phone releases the same dopamine loop when you get likes or when you get post notifications or text messages, it releases the same dopamine loop in your brain that gambling and drugs produce. So that's why we oh, get it does. addicted. But here's what I do want to say. And I want to like really, oh. I really want to Wait a ex- second, wait a yeah, second. go ahead.
0: Listen, so I know a little bit of the neuroscience of gambling. This is crazy. And you've hit on something that's so profound, so profound. So you got to look this up. You can write about this. So, it releases the same dopamine signal as gambling and yes. here's why. Gambling is a very different type of addiction because of a variable reward system. So, gambling, you don't know if you'll win every time. Like, if you take drugs, if you take enough, you can get high every time. Now, will that uh, the tolerance increase over time? Absolutely. And, no matter how high the tolerance gets, if you take enough, you will get a feeling. With gambling, it's a variable reward system. It's one of the hardest addictions to break because I don't know if I'll win or not. Mm-hmm. Maybe this time I will. Maybe I'll you know, sink down again. Maybe I'll pull myself out of it. And that variable reward system is so powerful, it latches on to us. And what you're saying about picking up your phone... Maybe I'll have a like, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll have a positive comment, maybe it'll be a negative comment. I don't know what's going to happen when I pick up my phone. I don't know what's going to happen when I hit Instagram. I posted that photo, will it get more likes than the last photo? Will my, you know, that sticker on my truck get more likes than the grills in my backyard? Will the BMX bike, you know, all those things, it's such a variable reward system, that's why... It's so much more addicting. Oh my goodness, that's crazy.
1: Wow, so it's like a good suspense novel. Like you're you're hooked. You're hooked to the story. You're hooked to the story of, I don't know what's going to happen with gambling. Am I going to win? I don't know if this text is a good text or a bad text. I don't you know just, if I'm going to get as many likes. It's a suspension just just changed my talk. So I'm, yeah. I'm speaking uh,
0: to, in two weeks. I'm speaking to uh, high school seniors at my kid's school. And I talk about social media. This is a brand new element in that talk that will be so yeah. much more powerful. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. You
1: got you gave me new content too. And, and that's powerful. So it's like you're hooked to the suspense. Just like yeah. a great yeah. mystery movie, you know? Yeah. And But, but oh, here's what man. I also want to say because that was powerful. Like I, I just – I like how they say originality is the art of concealing your store- sources and good artists copy, great artists steal. So I'm going to have to steal a bunch of this stuff for from our conversation. Sure. But basically I do want to also say this on the other hand. Like what we're doing right now is social media. Like what, yes. what, what we're yeah. doing right now. So that's why I want to like talk about technology for a minute because bringing that up, I want to like – say technology is a good thing in and of itself, but a good thing becomes a bad thing when you worship it as a lowercase God thing. Yeah. So here's yeah. what I mean. Uh, and this, I think you guys will really like this and vibe with this, but all technology does is expand upon already present human capacities. So mm. technology doesn't actually invent X nihilo, a borrowed something out of nothing. All it does is expand upon already present and pre-existing human capacities. So, look at a microphone. A microphone doesn't invent the human voice. It just makes the human voice louder. Or if you look at cars, cars did not invent locomotion or movement. It just made you go faster. Social media didn't invent connection, but what it does is it just made us more connected and it turned up the volume on our connection. But here's the problem. If you turn up the volume on any technology too loud, it collapses in on itself and fights against the very thing it was meant to increase. So go back to the microphone. If you turn up a microphone too loud, Mm -hmm. you'll get feedback. And then it's actually harder to hear the human voice. And you could hear me better without a microphone. Or if you take a car, it was meant to make you go faster. But if you're in LA or Orange County at 5 p.m. on a Friday, you can actually walk faster because you turned up the volume on the cars. There's now too many cars. Mm -hmm. And the same is true with social media. It's good. It connects us. But if you turn up the volume too loud on social media, it destroys the very thing it was meant to create. It collapses in on itself. And the very connection that we once felt turns into comparison. And now it it destroys the very connection it was intended to create.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Man. That is so crazy. That is so crazy. Ben, talk to the person who's feeling depressed, but doesn't have a group that's saying, come skateboard with me, come surf with me, come get outside with me, Right. that they don't have those connections with people around them. Maybe who knows why, but they don't have that. Are there Community. things that we can do ourselves that help us in that process to pull ourselves out of that pit?
1: Yeah. I get asked that question a lot. I'm a firm believer that God, when he created the world, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. So I believe that God, if we have eyes to see, we might be surprised that there are people, it's been said our vibe attracts our tribe. There are people who vibe with you, they're out there. So Mm. don't give up, it takes risk, it takes vulnerability. It's sometimes scary because sometimes we think we wanna disappear, but what we really want deep down is to be found. Yes. I always tell people, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together because mm-hmm. God didn't call us to isolate. He called us to infiltrate. So I do think they're out there and I want to say that, but also like, I think there's a good, like healthy going back to being by yourself. Cause if you're around friends all the time, you'll just be all treble and no base. Like you'll just be skimming off the top and you won't plumb yeah. the deeps. So you yeah. need that time. Like I, I'm obsessed with reading books. Like I'm reading Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep today, Like I'm and, I, and I'm hanging out with friends. So I'm doing both. And I think there's this element of there are things that I like to do by myself that really help me out of depression. Number one, uh, Jim Carrey actually talked about this. Did you guys see his 60 Minutes thing about his depression? Yes. His oh, ne- oh my Netflix goodness. thing? It was so really good. powerful. Great. The thing that hit me about it is you said for years I tried to present an image to the world that's not who I am and that made me depressed. And so like I stopped – like Kurt Cobain said, I would rather be hated for who I am than loved for who I am not. Mm -hmm. So one Mm -hmm. element is like I'm not going to present an image to the world that isn't who I am. I used to do that. Now I'm like, listen, if you like me or you don't like me, you're going to get me one way or the other. You're not going to get me pretending to be somebody else. Because the thing is, t- uh, research shows that 25% of the people you meet will never like you, even if you get them a car. Like, you know those people you're like, <laughs> even if – even if, uh, no matter what I do, I can't please them. Yeah. Uh, but, but then the second 25% of people you meet don't like you but might change their mind. The third set of 25% of people do like you but might be persuaded not to. And then the fourth set of twenty five percent of people you meet will always like you no matter what, and that includes your mom, so she has to like you. But basically, <laughs> like I've just learned to say, there's always going to be people who don't like me, but I'm not going to make myself depressed yeah. trying to impress people rather than impact people, and that's a that's a big big aspect to conquering depression.
0: Absolutely, uh, Frank Lutz, he was a I want to say CNN commentator. He used to have this thing they would do online where they would play a speech. And they would show approval rating in real time uh, from other people. And he came out to my dad's organization to talk to them. And there was a lot of people surrounding my dad at that time that were saying, oh, you're too harsh and you're too mean and you're angry and you're too this and you're too that. And they brought him out there essentially to change my dad's way of speaking, change who he was, to tell him, look, you're, you're angry and you're harsh and you're all these things. And he got up first thing out of his mouth he goes you know I wish I could be as bold as you I wish I could be fearless and say whatever I wanted to say at all times like you do and here's what I want to start with 20% of the population is never going to like you they're never going to like you no matter what you do say or change they're never going to like you and you have to stop trying to change that 20% you can change your stripes and say everything they want you to say and they'll call you a sellout you're never going to make them happy. Mm. Stop organizationally trying to attract the 20% of people that are never going to like you. It just makes you miserable. And I was yeah. like, whoa, I want to stand up and start cheering at that moment. Be like, yes, <laughs> you, you know, like, but it's what you said. We're trying to change. And maybe it is your parents. Maybe your parents just harp on you all the time and they're not safe people to be around. Stop trying to change them. Just be who you are. Find that 20, 25% that's going to love you no matter what and pour into them like they pour into you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. And it's so much more freeing that way. Mm. Like it's, yeah. it's
1: so much more freeing just being who you are. And ultimately, Roger Federer, uh, do you guys know who he is? He's a yeah, tennis player. Tennis yeah. player. Um, totally. Roger Federer, he said, you know, a lot of players focus on working on their weaknesses like you know getting better in the areas of their weakness and he said that's fine it'll make you more well-rounded but he said you won't be dangerous anymore Mm -mm. he said the players who are just awesome at one thing those are the dangerous players those are the Mm -hmm. ones that I like that really go places and I think there's an element of The people who are pointing out our weaknesses, like that's fine. Like we want people to point out the proverbial crumbs and the metaphorical mustache. Like that's great. But at the same time, like there's this element of if I play to my strengths, like really work on my strengths more than worrying about my quote unquote weaknesses that people are pointing out then you become a dangerous player. Then suddenly the yeah. enemy is quaking yeah. in his boots. And I think we can spend so much time trying to be well-balanced that we just become vanilla and vanilla never changes mm. the world. Like yeah. there's no such thing as a moderate revolutionary that yeah. Navy SEALs say anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. I follow Gary Vaynerchuk and he's a huge one on that. He said the American way is work on your weaknesses, work on your weaknesses. He's like, stop doing that triple down on your strengths. Yeah. Make yourself an absolute animal in the things animal. that you're already good at. Yeah. And if you can't do something and you want to be proficient in it, fine, but don't, if you're proficient in something that you're just not good at, stop trying. It's no big deal. What are you good at? Start being great at that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you look at this just crazy characters, in the Bible, Paul the apostle, they thought he was crazy because he read so much, but he wrote <laughs> yeah. great yeah. books. So yeah. they said your much learning has made you mad. And there's just this element of saying, you know what, I'm going to be extreme. Like I'm not about being mm-hmm. moderate, mm-hmm. I'm not about being well balanced, I'm about being extreme. Jesus was killed for being too extreme for the religion of his day, for corporate of his day, and I want to if if I'm accused of anything, I want to be accused of being too extreme.
0: Oh my goodness. Well, you're, you're, I'm gonna, you're our people. Definitely. Good. For, <laughs> I, for yeah, sure. I, right back at you. I feel, I feel the same vibe. Awesome. Ben, man, thank you so much. Thank this you. is, this is what we needed today. Really. Yeah. I didn't know where this was going to go. In fact, I was telling my son, he's like, I go, I got to go do a show. He's homesick. And he goes, what's it going to be on? I go, well, we're going to talk about depression and sadness and how to get over it. And he goes, Ew. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. When you talk about it, it gets better. Yeah. When you bring it out, you find yeah. solutions to make it better. And you have provided so many solutions today. Look at this. We got the skateboard we behind got the us. Skateboard oh, no way. I,
1: I literally that's didn't an, notice that till just now. Let's go. That's,
0: that's right. It,
2: but this is old school. That's old school With clay, clay wheels. I don't, oh, think, I don't think you're going to be riding any rails on this thing. Here, hand the penny.
0: Kristen oh. will hand it to you.
2: Here's our this is better.
1: And you have the penny board too over there? Oh That's yeah. Right. Here's our penny board. Oh gosh, you guys are you guys are amazing. I, like we please have to hang out. I want to hang out with you guys. 100%. You guys are amazing. I'll tell you
0: what, I'm not kidding. I'm going to leave this show. I'm going to go skateboard down the street because I need a yes. little bit of joy to Yes. I'm going to yes. do it. Yes. Ben, what an encouragement, what an inspiration. <laughs> what an amazing amazing young man you are. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you for Optimisfits. And just for being who you are, and being yeah. vulnerable and honest about how to get out of this stuff, yeah. I really love you
1: guys, and you guys. Are, this was one of the funnest interviews I've done in a really, really long time. Like I had an absolute blast. So, so let's let's please hang out more. Hundred percent. Totally. Thanks, 100%. Ben.
0: Awesome. Have a good one. Love you guys. You love too. you too. Talk to you later. Our thanks to Ben for coming on the podcast today and being honest and open about his struggles with depression. Letting us talk about a subject that sometimes gets stigmatized and normalizing it for our audience. Man, what a great guy. You can find his book, Optimisfits, wherever books are sold, and on Amazon, as you can also find Trinova products at Amazon.com slash Trinova, code word RebelPod for 20% off everything they sell. Also, a special thanks to The Voice of the Martyrs, helping those being persecuted for more than 50 years, persecution.com. God bless, Rebels. We'll see you soon.
2: Rebel Parenting is produced by Rebel Media House. And when you need a little help with your marriage or parenting, and everyone does, you can find it at rebelparenting.org. Sign up for the Rebel Update by texting the word REBEL to 444-999. That's R-E-B-E-L, and the number is 444 We love it when you share Rebel Parenting with your friends and family, so thank you. God bless. Thanks for spending your time with us, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Rebel Parenting.